Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, today is a very, very special episode because it's actually the first episode that I am recording live with my guest, live in the studio of <laughs> Los Angeles. Um, very exciting. Uh, my guest today is the lovely Vanna Taylor. Vanna, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's actually, uh, me and Vanna have actually spent the day together. We've been to, where do we go? We went to Icons of Darkness mm -hmm. in Hollywood. We went to Amoeba. Amoeba. And very excitingly, I bought the soundtrack for the film that we're going to talk about today. Um, so exciting. So it was like, it was like meant to be, basically. Yeah. So Vanna, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? How you got into horror? Oh, goodness. Well, I got into horror at a very early age. I've like always been into it. Always been into Halloween. Like I was such a weird kid <laughs> because of it. Um, yeah, I watched my first horror movie when I was four years old, my dad showed me The Thing. That's young super, for The Thing. Yeah, super <laughs> great. Um, yeah, I told him at the time, like, because I woke up in the middle of the night because I heard him watching TV. And he was like, come, come sit down with me. And I was like, mom is going to be mad. Like, <laughs> she, every time he showed us a movie, um, like, she would be in the kitchen cooking and be like, they're not allowed to watch this. No. Um, but she was asleep, so it happened, and I sat down and watched the thing with him, and then I was obsessed ever since. Love that. <laughs> Do you think the thing, specifically the thing, like the body, the infamous body horror of the thing? Do you think that's influenced your taste in films, like a particular genre that you find yourself going for? You know, I didn't think so because um, shortly after that, um, the one of the next movies he showed me was. Um, Scream. So, and Scream also was something that a lot of like neighborhood kids would like try to watch. Like, let's watch a horror movie that we're not allowed to watch. Um, I remember Scream very distinctly being one of those movies. And I feel like I um, was a lot more into slashers um, for a while. Um, there's a plethora of them to choose from. So many, so many. Um, so, I didn't really think so, but until I got. I guess deeper into understanding horror or understanding mm -hmm. why I like horror. Um, I don't necessarily rewatch the thing a lot, but I thematically like seeing body horror become more of a thing, especially like Cronenberg movies. I am currently in a master's program in sociology, and I recently switched to. Um, dedicating my thesis to being about horror films, um, specifically the monstrous feminine and abjection, which lends itself very much to the body horror genre. Mm -hmm. um, so I am finding myself kind of like in that arena more often lately. We had a little little interview over Zoom a few months ago, and you were very specifically looking at gender in yes. horror and also pregnancy. Yeah, so um, in undergrad, I was a gender and sexuality studies mm -hmm. uh, minor um, with sociology. So I've always kind of focused on gender theory in right. general. Um, so, and horror lends itself very much to a lot of that theory, I guess, um, and like queer theory. Mm -hmm. So, I do think I'll be sticking with that. I haven't really decided on 
anything more specific than that. But there's so much there. Like even yeah. even yeah. if you haven't decided like a very specific path, like I just feel like horror is the perfect, like there's so much to dive into with, you know, mm -hmm. gender, abjection, the body in regards to gender, queerness in regards yeah. to gender. It is just like absolutely right. Yeah, what initially drew me into, so I'm kind of on a path of like discovering what I want to write my thesis on, but like the entry point was mm -hmm. uh, womb horror, specifically because I was thinking about, um, as I was doing these interviews, like mm -hmm. interviewing other horror fans about uh, what scares them, like what their favorite movies are, uh, I was reflecting on things that get under my skin and specifically like womb horror pregnancy uh, because I very much do not want to ever get pregnant. <laughs> um, it's like a very specific fear I have. So I was like starting to look at some of those films, um, which then kind of cascaded into just diving into gender as a whole. Um, Teton very specifically. Oh, so good. I just kept finding myself thinking about that film. One of the only films tackling a pregnancy that's even directed by a woman in the first right? place. Exactly. So yeah. I found that was interesting. I don't necessarily want to focus on authorship too much yeah. um, in a thesis, but it was just like a, a point. And you've recently started to dabble in writing. Um, by the time this episode goes out, your first essay, Bloodstained Satin, will be live on thebeautyofhorror.com. Go and subscribe and sign up because Vanna's essay is amazing. And little plug for mine, I have, a, I have one on there about Mandy as well. You, do you want to go forward with writing? Like, is that your thing? Yeah, so because I'm going to be dedicating my thesis to it, I wanted to dabble in smaller writing projects and kind of see where that takes me um I absolutely loved writing that piece for Beauty of Horror um it was more of a personal essay than film theory or analysis yeah um so that was fun to explore but uh I do plan on applying to PhD programs when I'm done with my master's. And so I'm considering like continuing my academic journey in film theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just kind of dabbling for now, I guess, finding my writing style. Yeah. And, but I would hope that that turns into something. So, Vanna, your FFO that you gave me was gender. And two words that I am obsessed with, filth and melancholy. So why? Where did they come from? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking about a lot of the films that have resonated with me lately. Um, I obviously, like you said, with gender, uh, films that explore those themes always hit home. Yeah. Filth? I, I don't know. I, I was intrigued to know like your definition of filth because I obviously took filth to mean like grime, dirt, slime, splatter. But did you? Could you have meant it like filthy, like sexy, like? Um, I was thinking 
like along those like dirty um like thinking something that makes you feel disgusting right 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 yeah, makes yeah, you yeah. feel gross uh-huh. um so like one recently i watched you are not alone i think is what it's called i haven't seen that um i think it's macedonian film came out like this just like this last year yeah. it's kind of like a folk horror but there was a lot of imi- like it just felt disgusting right grimy yeah, grimy yeah 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 the film that we've chosen is also i i think of it as like morally filthy like yeah. it, it's a soul filth it's a it's mm-hmm. a hard watch there is dirt grime slime dirtiness in it but it's also it's a film that sits in you and stains you how about melancholy similar to the lines of filth i like when a movie can just kind of make me feel sad or empty afterwards like has me searching my feelings more it sits with you that's the kind of movie i like if i'm thinking about it afterwards that's that's the movie for me. Well, your FFO went perfectly with... There were two films that immediately came to my mind. The first was Lars von Trier's Antichrist, mm-hmm. and which I think makes a perfect double feature with the film that we did end up choosing, mm-hmm. which is Andrei Sulavsky's 1981 Possession. I used to be afraid of you, but I don't think I am anymore. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. For me, God is a disease. I'm going to try and give a very brief brief <laughs> synopsis of the film Possession. And if you've seen the film Possession, you know why I'm going to say try, because it's very complicated. It's very complex. But Possession follows a married couple, Anna, played by Isabella Gianni, and Mark, played by a young Sam Neill, who this couple are in the throes of a very traumatic, very upsetting breakup um, Mark is a spy. Uh, he returns home after a mysterious like esp- espionage mission to discover that Anna has been having an affair with Heinrich, who is a very flamboyant German man. And Anna has been neglecting their young son, Bob. Um, Mark begins a romantic relationship with Helen, who is Bob's school teacher. Anna and Mark's relationship kind of deteriorates into violence, into fights, shouting, blood. It's just a horrible, horrible mess. And it eventually ends up with the two of them committing several murders um, before Mark discovers his beloved wife copulating with some kind of tentacled beast. Um, Possession then ends with a violent shootout in the streets of Berlin where Anna and Mark succumb to possibly a demonic possession, possibly a cosmic horror alien takeover Whatever happens, it's a very sad ending. Um, what was your first experience with this film? So um, I first watched it because uh, you had actually written an essay, I believe, about Anna. Yes, I wrote an essay for Necromancy magazine called Mucus, Madness and Motherhood, The Exhausting Relevance of Anna. Yeah, and I just... I I read that and I I started reading it first and then I was like I need to watch this film yeah, before you don't I it, yeah. yeah like mm-hmm. I didn't want to spoil it 
And uh, it was a film that uh, someone I know, it's like their favorite film. Uh, so I had seen like them post about going to screenings of it. Um, so I knew it kind of had a almost like cult yeah like, reputation really does yeah mm-hmm. so um yeah so i just found it on some web- website somewhere because it's not very easy to get a hold no, of it is um, not. so i watched it and i just and then i was immediately just overtaken by how i felt about anna and like 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 we mentioned like filthy and like empty like this film just really had me feeling a type of way (laughs) oh my gosh it is an emotionally exhausting film i think now like you said possession is really a cult film it 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 was not well it was liked when it came out because johnny won best actress at Cannes for it but i feel like it's it's hard to like this film. Yeah, um, and it was banned. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he left Poland, I believe, like partially because his right. films were getting banned. Yeah. And and um, like a whole hour is cut from the release that the U.S. was given, which I don't know. I haven't seen. I I haven't seen that cut. Part of me wants to watch it just because I want to know what exactly. Yeah audiences were given like it's no I'd like I'd like to see that but also at the same time like when I first watched Possession I was like emotionally drained afterwards and my first thought was god this film is loud it is loud it is constant screaming yeah it's not something I would want um someone listening to me watch you know like in the other room (laughs) like good god what is she watching in there because it's just screaming and yelling and grunting and yeah it's it's such a it's such a hard watch and that's what i'm thinking like do i even want to see the extra footage because i feel like it it, is already an emotionally devastating movie i don't know if i can take anymore and yeah this film possession is so complicated one of the reasons it's so complex is because it's almost impossible to define what genre it slots into you know you've got psychological horror there's body horror there there's political horror there's gender horror there's even cosmic horror towards the end there's there's religious horror it just covers everything and yet some people don't even really think of it as like a horror film which is just astounding to me like i it is called possession and you know i guess that would lead someone to believe it's a more traditional possession film like the exorcist or something. And that's not what we get, but it is such a like traumatizing movie. Traumatizing is the perfect word Um, for it. Cause they're traumatized. We're traumatized. Everyone is traumatized. I guess if you take out the demon or the monster, whatever it is, then you could read possession as a very upsetting drama film. But I, I do feel like even the fights are horrific. Um, so a little bit about the background of possession. So Andrzej Zulawski, like you said, he was forced to, he's from Poland and he was forced to leave, uh, Poland after, I think it was the devils was his first film that was banned over there. And so he had to move over to other, I think it was France that he moved into, um, and then Possession is obviously set in Germany. It's set in a separated Berlin. So we still have the Berlin Wall. And the Berlin Wall 
plays a huge part of, you know, symbolically separation. And separation also comes in very importantly as, as Zulawski, Zulawski, sorry, sir, was going through a divorce, a very painful divorce by the sounds of it, um, as he was, you know, writing and directing this movie. And it is, some people call it like the ultimate breakup movie. Yeah, it, um, I heard it uh, like equated to like, a marriage story that that movie with adam driver oh like, yeah 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> like if that was horror yeah horror, yeah yeah definitely um, mm-hmm. as an adult child of divorce it's hard work for me to watch this film because i grew up around not those not violence but i grew up around shouting and an angry couple and so when i watched it i was like it was interesting for me to see it from his point of view like I've never, I've never been married. I've never gone through divorce. I've been through painful breakups, but nothing like this, I don't think. Yeah, I, yeah, nothing to that extent. But I have, um, I guess in a way, had to be a nastier person um, because the person you're trying to get out of a relationship with has this idealized version of you and they're trying to do anything they can to keep you in a relationship. To keep that version of you as well. And keep that version of you. Yeah. So like having, having to say painful things uh, just for the sake of severing that tie. But also um, like my parents did not get divorced and they're doing a lot better now, but my whole childhood, they just fought and fought and were always going to or should have gotten a divorce but in but didn't which is sometimes very much worse so yeah so in a way that's kind of like what mark is kind of doing by keeping her there he's continuing the fight instead of just letting them move on so even physically mark does not give anna any room like one of the things that gets to me so much about this movie is that no one will give Anna her space. Um, Mark is consistently, well, he's violent towards her for one, but he he just moves in her space. He's like always has his face like up close mm-hmm. to hers. He's, he's always, always blocking the he's doorway. He's always blocking the doorway. He's always saying, I'm not letting you leave. You can't go. Same with Heinrich. Heinrich like always like pushes her up against the wall. All the men in her life do not give her her space. They're all trying desperately to cling on to Anna. And that brings us into one of the themes that I really want to focus on in this film, which is gender. And gender is arguably one of... Well, I I personally, I think gender is a huge part of this film, maybe the biggest theme of this film, because it's in every character. Um, First of all, femininity in this film is so complex because we have Anna versus Helen. So we have Anna and her idealized version, her doppelganger, who is Bob's school teacher. Uh, Helen looks exactly like Anna, but the perfect version, the male fantasy. Yeah, like she is like a softer Anna. She's, she's softer. White. She's she has got this the white kind of dress. glow to her. Yeah, she's angelic. You know, she comes straight in. Something that um, really hit me about Helen is 
when Anna is in the kitchen and Mark and Anna have their huge fight in the kitchen, meat everywhere, knives everywhere, chaos, mess, dirt, food everywhere. She comes straight in. She starts cleaning. Yeah, like, she bathes his son and then she does his dishes and then she lays in bed with him. Exactly. She's <laughs> exactly the perfect what he wants. subservient wife for Mark, even down to her, you know, her light eyes. I mean, we'll get into the eyes later, but her lighter hair. She's very much the angelic version of Anna. Anna is not, Anna is a very complicated presentation of a woman because almost every woman I've spoken to identifies with Anna because she doesn't fit the mold of like perfect femininity, because she's angry, because she shouts, because she doesn't want to be a mother, um, because she's filthy, she's, she rolls around in the grime. Um, Anna is willing to present this version. And this is what's interesting, like we talked about off mic, as I mentioned. If do men see Anna as like bad? Like, what yeah, do you think? I, I, yeah, that's what, you know, mentioning that the director's coming off a divorce. So he's obviously projecting his version of however that divorce went which I guess we can question um, since we only know about it from his point of view or, but, you know, knowing that that's what's being projected, it, you know, it calls into question like what the intent is with her. But yes, I've, I have not met a single person who does not identify. No, it's, it's, yeah, she's really, and it's funny because it's, it's very obviously, I don't read. I don't want to go into like the whole separating so binary about gender, you know, men and women. But it's so interesting to me that in general, women or femme people do tend to empathize with Anna and all of the ugliness, the dirtiness. But I'd be interested to know what men think about that. Like, so men, men, hit me up in the comments. Like. Is Anna a nightmare of femininity because she's not feminine, because she doesn't, she refuses to like, you know, like we said, motherhood example. Motherhood is another huge theme in this film, but Anna is not a good mother. Right. And, you know, something I always wonder is what life was like before Mark came home because, you know, she's been essentially on her own this whole time. Um and something really interesting that is a tiny line that you might even miss, Mark mentions that Anna used to have a job and about a year ago she quit the job. So it goes back to women in the workplace. Did, why did, did Anna quit her job for Bob? Did she quit her job to be a mother and she resents? Because she's, she's not a great mom to Bob. Yeah, and that's a common thing that women have to do or you know, whoever decides to be the primary caretaker. But it's also something that often gets thrown back as leverage. Uh, You know, a common thing is like, you know, I come home from work and I should have a dinner ready for me. Second shift, yeah. Yeah, and so that's what's really interesting because, too, something that kind of just clicked in my mind, how off-topic we were talking about, Heinrich is a very flamboyant and he kind of dances around. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I assumed, because she's teaching that ballet class, that that was her profession before. Right. That she that was a sense. ballet teacher. And we assume that Heinrich is filming that class. So it would make sense if he were a dancer or or teacher or something like that because he does give off very um like dancer vibes yeah <laughs> he's very um what's vincent castle's character called in black swan oh oh uh tomas 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 yeah. leroy mm -hmm. get it we'll get into heinrich now mm -hmm. um so going on to the masculine and i'm saying that in inverted commas but as Femininity is dealt with very complicated in this film. Masculinity is also dealt with quite quite complex because we have our two male leads, Mark and Heinrich, neither of whom are, you know, the traditional version that you might expect of masculinity. Um, obviously, this is all very binary. It's very stereotypical, but this is just, you know, Mark is, he's needy. Mm -hmm. He's emotional. He has very. emotional outbursts, he's obsessive, and those are all traits that we very negatively also associate with, with womanhood. Yeah, he's also very, like, clean and, like, put together. Yeah. Whereas Anna is not. Anna is disheveled, yeah. she's dirty, she's filthy. Um, and Heinrich as well. Heinrich is, as we talked about, Heinrich is dancing around, he's flamboyant, he's very... You know he's not he's not afraid to use his body to express himself. He's wearing a gorgeous like white linen suit. Um, but as outside of the gender role Heinrich might seem, he's also very much a possessive man to Anna. Yeah, it's interesting because you know obviously we find out later that everything that's going on is not just because she's seeing this other guy um but at first it's kind of assumed that he is the source of this break so then when we meet him and he's not very different from mark um if you then begin to question like why is anna seeing him on the side like why is this causing this like if he's just another guy like mark who's also controlling her and all that then it's like then why and obviously later we find out a little bit of why but that was something i always thought was interesting like i don't see him and mark as very different they're both pretty well dressed except he does like kind of kick mark's ass a little bit <laughs> which i think is part of mark's issue like he's like not only is my wife having an affair with this guy but i also find out that he's like cultural and spiritual and all these things that could be better than me and then he also kicks my ass when i go to confront him about it like mark's kind of going through it a little bit mark's going <laughs> through it but also there's there's a and I, I don't know if I'm reading into this because I read this into everything. There's a homoeroticism the between way, Mark and Heinrich. The way they grab each other's necks. Yeah. It's, it starts off very sensual and then they start trying to strangle each other. But they keep doing this and, and Heinrich even kind of asks Mark to like him. And he's like, fine, yeah. I like you. you yeah, know, I like you. I like weird... you. Yeah. And there's, there's a great, um, we both enjoy and watch this video essay called Possession, Constructing Identities by Style is Substance. I will link that 
in the show notes because it's a great essay that goes into the character of Mark and specifically Mark's sexuality and also Mark's gender, which is very interesting because there is a moment where Heinrich says, you're not a man, you're a woman. And he gives him a tampon. Like, obviously he's like, he's like, he's like mocking him, but he gives him a tampon. But yeah, Mark is not the traditional, you know, first of all, Sam Neill is quite, I love Sam Neill so he's much. Side note, so I cute. love love Sam Neill in this role. But I want to hit him, but he's yeah, so cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's he's very, yeah, he's very um sensitive. There's a sensitivity to Mark. Um, which again is goes back to this whole possession has a fluidity of gender, but is also very rigid. It goes back to that duality. Mm -hmm. Again, there's so much duality in this movie. Yeah, something that is always really interesting, obviously I'm focusing my thesis on it, is like the monstrous feminine. And the monstrous feminine comes from the idea of abjection, which kind of comes from psychoanalysis and all that. But very specifically, um, Julia Kristeva uh kind of has it defined in an essay um called powers of horror which is just supposed to be relating to like horror in general like the feeling of horror um and filth and stuff like that um but it has been to the horror film but um it is defined as like abjection being the threatened breakdown of meaning caused by the loss of distinction between subject and object or between self and other and then so abjection is that feeling in between subject and object or between self and other so when something threatens our identity that is something that is considered abject or something that's not doing its purpose like the main uh example she gives is like the skin of milk because um it was something very specifically related to her parents wanting her to drink the milk. She doesn't want to drink the milk. So that protest is like a formation of self, of identity against your parents. But also the skin on top of the milk is like this milk is supposed to be like nourishment. But it's it's disgusting. It's spoiled. Adapted to the horror film and through the monstrous feminine, it's... Uh, kind of a way to identify who is othered in society. Um, So like women, people of color, queer people. Uh, So the like womb or pregnancy, stuff like that is often considered abject. Although this film to me doesn't fit very neatly into one of the like archetypes that Barbara Creed outlines in Monsters Feminine, this film is like the most abject film. Like. The, the subway scene is so disgusting. It, it's the definition of abjection. But then also this whole movie plays with these dualities. Like the, the like you mentioned, femininity, masculinity. There's dual archetypes between both. Like Anna and Helen, Heinrich and Mark. So there's all of this exploration of... these definitions or disrupting those definitions so I find that really interesting because like you said like these men are not even the most traditional masculine men and you know like 
I, for the formation of identity is very important to abjection and all that. So I think it's kind of interesting to think about like Mark's identity, like throughout this whole film. Like he kind of he has this identity formed around being the family man, and then now he's the. It's a very the film's roles are very hard to define, and I love that about it because. There's no way you could sit down and read this movie in one way. But I do want to ask you, do you think possession is misogynistic or feminist or neither? And does it matter? While it may have been intended to be misogynistic, I read it as very feminine. I guess you could say like we've kind of reclaimed this movie but also does it matter i don't know and possession there are moments of misogyny in it there are moments of violence against women there are moments like we spoke about where um helen is presented as perfect because she's subservient but then we get moments where helen says the infamous quote and obviously this is very binary doesn't doesn't take into account trans women or non-binary people but helen says the only thing that women have in common is menstruation and basically tells Mark to shut mm -hmm. up. Like, stop blaming women for your shit because yeah. we're not all the same. Yeah, and then also after, like, laying in bed with him and after he comes back, I believe uh, Bob has his little, like, freak out in the middle of the night and, he, and then he comes back from soothing Bob and she's getting dressed and she's, like, says... You know, this was a bad idea. I think it just confirms what you think of women. So she's obviously being presented as this softer, more feminine Anna, but she's also not clueless to the way Mark is projecting his idea of women. So it, and we're also not really made, I don't, I don't think, to side with Mark. Uh, that brings us nicely into the next theme I wanted to talk about very quickly is motherhood and miscarriage. Um, mm -hmm. Motherhood and the the metaphorical meaning of motherhood and the very literal meaning of motherhood play a lot into this. Obviously, we've talked about how Anna is not a great mom. So there's this great moment where Mark says to Bob, he refers to Helen as our mummy. And that mm. always creeps me out so much because it goes back to this whole thing about how a lot of men don't want a woman. They want a mother. Yeah. They, they want, want a mother to, to be fix their mom. Them. Right. Exactly. Um, and yeah, motherhood is a really, really specific part of this film, especially when we get to the infamous subway scene. I love the theme of motherhood. That's part of why I identify so much with Anna. Um, I am very much not someone who wants to be a mother or ever be pregnant. And it also fits in a lot with um, my interest in the monstrous feminine. And like, but I, I always questioned where Anna would fit right. in those archetypes um, because she does not fit very neatly into some of the archetypes, but some of the ones that come to mind, like obviously the possessed monster is one of the archetypes of the monsters feminine mm -hmm. given the title of the film. However, 
it's not as clear cut of a possession film as other films. So like the possessed monster, it's typically like a woman's body has been breached by the devil. It like her body becomes a battleground for the fight between good and evil and evil's transformed through it, like with the exorcist and and stuff like that. It's or even like the conjuring. It's Ooh, yeah. this like mm-hmm. love conquers all. Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> love your children and you'll be saved. But we don't get a clear cut possession and you can even argue whether or not Anna is even the one possessed at all. And then I thought about the monstrous womb is another archetype, which she's not necessarily pregnant in the film, but given the subway scene um, that she describes as a miscarriage, it very much fits in because the idea like wombs are abject because they are like considered this liminal space yeah 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 um you exist and don't exist you're like schrodinger's yeah. fetus uh psychoanalysis has a lot to do with the mother the father like mm. a, a mother child relationship and also like the idea that things are coming out of your body that um like in a binary sense like that men are afraid of this anatomical part of yeah. women because uh-huh. they can't fathom what what it can do well also men are, uh, only want to put things in it when yeah. something comes out of it they're yeah. like no 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 they don't, don't want, want any that. part yeah, of yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. so but you know and like there's this idea that you know with like the brood yeah. or something like women are like the cause of harm like they are to blame mm-hmm. Um, typically, and typically it it has like a monstrous offspring, like in the, in the brood. So I see Anna as like kind of existing within like that archetype with the monstrous womb. And that scene is just so that that's just, that's the filthy disgust. It's like, there's mucus and slime and blood. And it's just like. And also very interesting, interestingly, milk and eggs. Yes, which are also typically associated with well, they're f- they're f- reproduction they're or motherhood. Foods you know, that women make. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, like the uh, the mother right. produces and she smashes milk them. Or, she smashes the yeah. eggs against the the wall. She drops the milk on the floor. And it's a gr- grocery shopping is also like exactly that is the woman's role exactly. to go grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like. It's all encapsulating this this rejection of motherhood, the rejection of the gender role yeah. she's been assigned. Yeah, I ve- I have very, I mean, there's a, a million, million ways you could read this scene, but I have always read the scene, and this is why I chose to wrote, write the article, is it's, as you said, it's a rejection. It's a miscarriage of what's expected of you. Mm-hmm. Is it a real miscarriage? Possibly, um, but it's definitely a metaphorical miscarriage. It's a a bodily rejection of the expectations of womanhood, of motherhood, of femininity. And that's why we relate so much to it. I would also be interested to know how um, the relation aspect has changed since it came out. Because, you know, obviously 1981 was a very different time. We're now living in a world where um, women have a lot more independence. Mm -hmm. Um, Women have a lot more choice over what they can do women have well 
some women have uh, choices of what they can do with their bodies if they do have a pregnancy. So I, I'm wondering if it's like more liberating for us now that we can conceptualize that um, as opposed to a woman watching it in 1981, which I would be very interested to know what they thought of it at the time. What do we think about this miscarriage? Do we think it's a metaphorical miscarriage? Do we think it's, as she mentions, a miscarriage of faith? In that ballet scene at the end, she has that monologue of where she kind of talks about sister faith and sister chance. And mm -hmm. then she later talks about that that was her miscarriage of faith. Right. So is it is it also a rejection of religion? Um, and right. Because obviously religion, especially like Christianity, is very limiting for women. So is it a rejection of what's expected of Anna as a Christian woman um, or just faith in general? Because a lot of the, the feeling of this film is hopelessness and the fact that nothing is there to save you. The men aren't going to save you. The women aren't going to save you. There's this, this sense of bleakness that there's like nothing left. And I feel like that's, partially what she meant by miscarriage of faith is like i have no more faith i'm done i can't dream anymore because right before the subway scene she's seen in front of a depiction of christ and right. she's mm -hmm. like staring up at it with her beautifully sad scared expression that she wears throughout this film and and then she's like moaning and it's like i don't really know what is implied to be going on with her right in that moment. I mean, I kind of see it, like you said, the pleading, the softness in the eyes. To me, it feels like she's begging Jesus to help her. Yeah. Whether or not Anna is a religious person, I, I'm not German. I'm also not Polish, so I don't know how um, important Christianity is in those countries and cultures. Right. But at the 80s too, not, not too sure. But to me, it's like she's begging Jesus to save her from whatever, whatever she's become or whatever's going on. And he doesn't. He very specifically doesn't because then mm -hmm. the, the subway scene happens. Um, but in a way, the subway scene also kind of reminds me of like religious ecstasy. Like it's very much how, you know, you see like the traditional people being taken over by the Holy Spirit, speaking yeah. in tongues. That's what made me kind of wonder about, like, the title of the film is called Possession. But it made me think, like, who is possessed in this film? And, like, what is possession? Like, why is it when typically a woman or, you know, maybe a queer person, like someone who is acting outside of the constraints of Christianity is acting in that way, then it's pinned as a possession. Like the devil is at play here. Um, but a pastor or someone can like speak tongues and do things like through the spirit or feel the spirit of Christ come over them. And that's just like a religious experience. That's not a like quote unquote possession. Yes. So, you know, and like Heinrich 
says there's nothing to fear but God, Mm -hmm. whatever that means to you. So there's kind of this idea of like one man's God is another man's devil and and stuff like that. So it's kind of. Well, that brings us interestingly into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the monster, the demon, the (laughs) the tentacled creature. Um, I have all kinds of thoughts about this creature the first thing we need to know about this creature is that anna genders it and she genders it very specifically with he pronouns she says he made love to me all night he is very tired yeah so you know and there's also the phallic symbol of the tentacle it doesn't take a genius to read that um and then finally at the end the demon that she has sex with turns into mark so i don't think there's any question there about the fact that the demon is a male thing but what male thing? <laughs> yeah, because we kind of see it. We progressively see more and more of it. Like at first, it's just this weird thing in the dark corner. And then the next time, it's this tentacle, slimy monster mm-hmm. on the bed. And then, you know, like you mentioned, then it is Mark mm-hmm. Doppelganger. It's like the more the more men she kills, the more it it gains its form. Right. Yeah, she and she almost goes into almost like a trance like state every time. It's, it's it's ecstatic. She she you know what some of the very few times that Anna looks happy in this movie is when she's around the beast. Mm-hmm. And interesting too um I forgot his name but the man who goes to her flat because oh the pi yeah yeah the guy who comes because the pi was killed oh and the he's P- his lover his lover or, that's another thing so yeah. and he he like exclaims emmanuel at that moment when she, when after he sees the monster tentacle sex demon thing and um, I saw in one of those video essays that that in Hebrew is um, the name means God is with us oh, or something. Right. Like. And yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and right that before that, sense. he yeah. also says something like, my God. And yeah, then and then he screams Emmanuel. So there's all there throughout the whole film. There's a sprinkling of of God and like what God is and faith. And so and she when she's talking to Mark, she says it's in me and mm-hmm. there's this very like almost like she's worshiping it i've just literally had a thought in my head where i keep my thoughts is possession or could the devil the demon thing whatever it is could it be read as a bastardization of like the creation story because we've got adam and eve but eve came from parts of Adam, right? Eve was made from parts, well, from Adam's rib. Mm. So with Anna using the parts of men to create a new being, like, I don't know, mm. would that make, like, would that make Anna yeah. God? And then the doppelganger would be the first human? Also, um, on the topic of the womb, you know, we have, like, with Jesus, a miraculous conception and in this film, we have a miraculous miscarriage. Exactly. You know, Is it a of reversal of what yeah. we expect? Because obviously, 
this like we go back to this film's duality if if it's a bastardization of what we know from christianity then does that mean that what's coming at the end of the film is the end of the world uh, um has anna created a new set of humanity is she god that is i i love <laughs> i love i love that i you know i didn't really ever think about how the progression of the tentacle creature you know coincides with the murders and the, the fact that it is in mark's image the ending has this very apocalyptic nature to it there's sirens yeah. there's black-eyed people there's doppelgangers like there's bombs there's bombs going off bob drowns himself rather than face you know poor little bob you know he's sat at the dinner table yeah. going don't open don't open <laughs> he does not want whatever's outside the door to come in the door that's what i'm thinking is is that has anna ushered in a new mm. a new future for humanity which is the devil's humanity if this whole movie is about subversion, subversion of gender, subversion of motherhood, subversion of expectations, it would make sense, given the religious context of the film, that there's a subversion of Christianity and the creation story, um, which is a, a very bleak ending, but it also ties in because the ending is, it feels like the end of the world. I mean, with the whole like tentacle monster, it is rather serpenty. Like, is she? Right. Did she venture out of Eden, their little mm -hmm. apartment, and mm -hmm. tempted by this serpent thing? I don't know. When I first watched the ending, there's no question that the world is ending here. Whether right. it's whether it's Anna's world, whether it's Mark's world, some Bob's world, Bob's Bob's world does end. I mean, little baby, little baby Bob, but. I also, when I, f when I first watched Possession, my th first thought that came into my head was aliens. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but I was like, shit, it's an alien invasion. Um, and I, I, obviously I don't think there's aliens, but there is that cosmic sense to this film. Like we see this new Mark doppelganger. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I guess it could just be the quality of, effects but both his eyes and helen's eyes are so like uncanny like you can obviously tell she's wearing some contacts or something but it just it gives this weird i you know i i, I think about the choices in camera work like when she's looking at the camera when they look at the camera at those mm -hmm. very specific moments it's like you know every time someone gazes upon this monster is mm -hmm. when they then die or are killed by Anna or they have this spiritual yeah. revelation. So like, I always wondered if them gazing at the camera is supposed to be then us, the audience, like, are we now well, the in monster, danger? The or? monster also gazes at the camera. The first time we meet him and a side note, the, yeah. the monster design I've never seen anything like it. You know, it's got this long, fleshy face with these two beady little mm. eyes on either side, covered in blood, but it looks at the camera. It looks yeah. straight at us, straight on. 
Yeah, so I always wonder if that's supposed to be, like, we are supposed to be taking some spiritual journey. Are we in danger? Like, are we next? Um, We talked about the subway scene briefly, but just before mm. we, we wrap up, I wanted to know if there was any other scenes in particular that really stand out to you. Thematically, I love the ballet scene. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk to you specifically yeah. about the ballet scene and your background and your... So, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so I I just love the ballet scene. So at first, I was drawn to it. Um, I've been a ballet dancer my whole life since I'm about, like, four years old. So I always just, like, kind of love seeing ballet in horror films mm-hmm. um, and film in general. It's always fun. Um the only thing I ever hear about the ballet scene is that it's a scene of her abusing a student. Right. Um, which is really interesting because as someone who's done ballet my whole life, that's just a normal ballet class. Like, obviously not every ballet teacher is mm-hmm. <laughs> so intense. Um, or maybe they'll they'll let go of you a little bit sooner than Anna does. But that's a very standard yeah that's just how it is yeah every time i see my ballet teacher i straighten up very tight because i know she will slap my back if i'm god the reason i titled my article for beauties of horror uh bloodstained sound is because i've literally had rehearsals where um i had blisters on my feet underneath like in my shoes in my point shoes and so a couple movements i did not up to par, I guess. So um, the music was stopped and she asked Savannah, why are you not doing it full out? And I said, my feet hurt really bad. And she's like, I don't care. And then we kept going until there was just blood seeping through my point shoes. Holy which shit, are that's so like intense. cardboard, paper mache, yeah, yeah, yeah. that. And so then I was allowed to take my shoes off after there was blood all over my shoes that's so (laughs) but that's so interesting that you see it a different way because like when i see that scene having no no experience with ballet whatever i see a woman kind and a a young girl and a scene in which a woman is kind of like it's almost like she's preparing the young girl for the shittiness that lies ahead of her Mm -hmm. as a woman she's like no put your hip in put your leg out like suck your stomach in and the little girl is like crying and like weeping and she's like begging it to stop but Anna's like no this is what you need to get used to as yeah, a woman she, she says right after she screams and runs out of the room um she says from now on she'll know how much practicing and sheer will she has gotten her to say I can do as well I can be better I'm the best only in this case can she become a success nobody told me that and that's why I'm with you, because you say I for me. And doesn't that go back to the whole performance of gender, the performance of femininity? Yeah. And again, why that subway scene is so important is because it's a fuck you to performance. Vanna, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about possession with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is like, as soon as I saw this film, it was like an instant favorite um vanna where can we find you on the internet so on instagram it is the horror helion 
H-O-R-R-O-R-H-E-L-L-I-O-N. And then just Horror Hellion on Twitter. Um, I make TikToks sometimes. Um, Also Horror Hellion on Letterboxd. I don't really write reviews, but if you want to see what I'm watching. Mm. um, yeah, Follow me, Twitter, Instagram, Warm Blood Fire, all that usual stuff. Subscribe to the newsletter, blah, blah, blah. And I will see you next time. Bye.